Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Oh, did you like that energy, Sid? Uh, it was, I mean, it's up there. It's high. I would say it was high energy. Uh, sometimes this is as close as you and I get to talking to other adults. So I like to imagine that energy right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking with some friends of mine, other right. adult friends we have that we're talking to. This is not sad. This is in no way sad. That's a normal thing. You know, we could just like Zoom or Skype somebody or FaceTime or whatever, like that kind of thing. I don't, I, I, I guess that's true, but. You only know how to communicate through podcasting. When I start talking about the the mattresses I enjoy, Uh, the underwear I like, they're like, mm -hmm. they tune out and I need people who are dialed in. And here for it. So the <laughs> it's the ads that really it's the ads that bum my friends out. Um, <laughs> the the unpleasantness continues. Uh, the, the, <laughs> that's a way to put it. That's I mean that's yeah that's the actually that's the only calendar item that I have. It's just a ongoing thing that says the unpleasantness continues. I hope you're hanging in there, friends. Uh, we're we're doing our best here. It's yeah, been, it's been a rough week. Yeah, and I. I thought, you know, I should I should put together a medical question type episode, uh, but we've had so many COVID related questions. I thought maybe one specific to that. Right. Uh, we didn't really have to put out a call for them because we we've just had so many that I thought we could address some of some of the they're kind of grouped as opposed to I know in our usual weird medical question episodes we read like the whole email from the listener, but we've had. I think the general questions fall into several themes. So I kind of have these general things. Uh, Well, I'm excited to learn something. I know I've got a lot of questions myself about, about COVID. I'm sure they'll all be answered by the end of this episode. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to get going. Now I should caution Justin. We are not going to answer all your questions about COVID because I don't have all the answers. I've only got six questions. Oh, well, okay. I'm just saying. Perfect. I don't think anyone has all the answers right now. That's true. That's just the truth. That's true. I, I would distrust anyone who acts like they have all the answers. Uh, there was one common question that came up a lot. I read an email from Kat who I uh, summed it up nicely. And it's about how likely a vaccine is. Yes. Uh, especially, I think that this specific email was in light of um, family members who are anti-vax and who feel that not only... Would they, I think, not want a vaccine, but there's also not one coming um, specifically for reasons like 
we don't have virus we don't have any vaccines against coronaviruses right now so why why would we be able to make a vaccine against this one uh boris johnson you may know him better as the uh prime british prime minister yes uh and covid19 survivor to mm-hmm. be fair that is true uh says accurate. that a vaccine he said this week actually that a vaccine or last week uh, a vaccine may never be found so i i it's wow. not exactly conspiracy theory at this no. point i didn't know he said that yeah uh, now, if you if you listen to the the recent um, the what was it? It was a congressional hearing testifying before Congress. The various scientific experts, Dr. Fauci and Robert Redfield from the CDC, some other people who were asked to come testify as to uh, before the Senate uh, as to the where we are in terms of our response and and various things. And and I think Dr. Fauci made it very clear then, which was very recent, and he said it multiple times, that a vaccine is not only likely, but it is coming. It will be coming. It is not here now. It takes a while. He has to keep saying that because every time he says it, other people are like, can I have some? If you do Other have it on you, like, well, we'll try to speed that up. And he's like, no, that is the speeding up. The speeding up <laughs> is 12 to 18 months. And they're like, well, maybe we can speed it up. And he's like, no, no, really, we can't. Anyway, uh, it is very likely that a vaccine is coming. And I am not telling you that as myself, an expert. I'm telling you that because the experts say that that's what they all say. <laughs> they agree. The people who make the vaccines and the people who know how to make vaccines and direct agencies to do so all agree that, yes, a vaccine is quite possible. Now, I'm going to challenge you on that, Sydney. We've never made a vaccine to a coronavirus. That's not really true. Oh, wow. Uh, let's ex- let's exclude SARS and MERS for a second. Okay. Why have we not made vaccines for other coronaviruses uh, you my, may be able to answer this. My best guess would be that they have not been that serious. We don't have a vaccine the against cold, the common basically, cold. Basically. Yes. I mean, we don't have a vaccine for rhinovirus either, which also can cause basically a common cold for most people. That's not to say that any of those illnesses in someone who is who has uh, other chronic diseases or who might be very uh, sick from something else, of course, it could be a big deal. But for most of us, the coronavirus, the everyday coronavirus, not SARS, not MERS, not COVID, has not been a big deal. That's why we don't have a vaccine against it. We can't have a vaccine against every single virus. Right. We just Not enough hours in the day. No, we don't. There are those cool ideas that I've mentioned before where Dr. Fauci has said we could have like platform vaccines that we could tailor to different outbreaks as they occur. But that takes time and money and uh a federal focus government from the that federal is government. focused and yeah. yeah on that and we've got space force right now so other things take precedence yeah uh when the klingons come though you will be <laughs> grateful <laughs> so when it comes to sars and mers though because those are those were big deals as we've covered on this show before those were big deal coronaviruses mm-hmm. why do we not have a vaccine okay well we were working on it Really? We, yes. There was no reason we couldn't. We just hadn't yet. But both of them burned out really quickly, if well, you remember. Which uh, both, I don't. Both SARS and MERS were not. I mean, I think you do remember that they weren't. They did not cause this. Right. They were <laughs> there. Uh, there was a lot of worry about those. That mm-hmm. They didn't exactly. But I, got, I don't know what a sensitive way of saying making a splash is, but they didn't make, make a yeah, splash. Yeah, they were contained. A lot more quickly. And so the idea of continuing the funding 
and the resources to make a SARS vaccine was not of the utmost importance to any of the players who would be responsible for that. And so it, it kind of stopped. But the work was being done, and it can be and could be. And my understanding is that MERS is actually, the vaccine may still be in process. Like, they may have a MERS vaccine. They haven't gone through all the trials of any of these yet. Again, not because they couldn't do it. There were, there were certain uh, barriers. You may have heard this idea that if you do the vaccine wrong, it could, it could hurt, harm someone in these specific yeah, illnesses and yeah. so they had to do all the appropriate safety testing and all that right because you don't you we know that before we give you a vaccine we know it's not going to harm you that's why we do them but they just hadn't done all that yet with these but they can and they will and they are i yeah you know as for the past few months let's just go ahead and just keep working on those huh let's just I, go ahead and just well, go wild and just go ahead and keep working on all those vaccines they're using that research that they've already done and the progress they'd already made on those vaccines to help expedite the research on the COVID vaccines hmm. in some of them. There are many in process. There are many different, you know, companies working on different types of COVID vaccines. But one way or another, that research is helping to feed into that. So the idea that, well, we've never done it before. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, we we sort of did. We tried to. We kind of did. We thought about MERS. Uh, specifically, I saw a lot of um, military interest in a MERS vaccine. Hmm. And yeah. should we need it? But anyway, so yes, of course, we can do that and we will do that. We just need time to do it. A lot of people have brought up, well, what about mutations in the virus? So we'll make a vaccine that was based on our sequencing of the viral RNA back in January, right? That was right. announced. Do you remember when that, that was? I love when science things like that float to the top of the announcement, although not so much the reason. Yeah. But we sequenced the viral DNA or RNA and we were able to at that point make a vaccine right that's great uh the th the the conspiracy out there has been well but because the virus will mutate if we're using that sequence by the time we have the vaccine the virus will be so different from that original sequence that it won't work that's not true mm. coronavirus is an rna virus and rna viruses do mutate they do change and coronavirus has we know that we that has been charted you can read papers on it. There have been news articles on it. Uh, but one thing we know about this coronavirus is that it changes very slowly. Mm. The genetic code of it, even the most recent strains, are not that different from the original coronavirus that strain, as far as we can tell, that we have found. So it won't so, be as hard to keep up with. No. It, well, and the idea of keeping up with it would mean we'd have to change the vaccine. We have no reason to think we're going to have to do that. Um, we're using a flu vaccine for H1N1 that was developed from the 2009 H1N1 strain. And it still is effective against the H1N1 strains of today because that's how slowly that virus has mutated, has changed over time, is that a vaccine that works for the ancestor is still typically very effective for its descendants. Okay. Um, it is very rare that you would need to change that. A better example would be uh, mumps for which we have same, used the same vaccine for 50 years. Coronavirus could be more, it, we, we believe is more similar to that. There's no reason to think that the vaccine we make now will be ineffective by the time, you know, it's out there and produced. There's every reason to think it will be effective. Now, will uh, it be available for everyone at an affordable price? That, 
I cannot say. Well, I will. I I will continue to to remain hopeful. Yes, I think I I I am not. I would not say I'm hopeful. I am certain that a vaccine will come. Oh, I meant about the costs. Oh yes, I <laughs> will. Well, we can remain hopeful about that. Yeah. Uh, we have gotten multiple questions, including one email from Hassini and Ryan, who asked about vitamin D supplementation for COVID. Uh, I think the specific question was, my mom is making me take vitamin D now. Is that really anything? Uh, there's been a lot of work done in this area. I think it's a really interesting question. Now, vitamin D, if I'm remembering correctly from our vitamins episode, I feel like vitamin D was the one supplement where you said sometimes it may be good. Yes, because there are people who are vitamin D deficient. Mm-hmm. That is something we are finding. And so in those patients, they should take vitamin D supplement. I have been, I'm sure. But now that May is here and I'm starting to see those rays peek <laughs> out from between the clouds, you know your boy is going to get his D. It's not even a concern anymore. Come to my house. I'll give you some spare D just off of my shoulders or right. wherever because I won't even need all these big, beautiful rays I'm going to be soaking up through a layer of appropriate SPF sunscreen. Sun, sun cream. Sun cream, yes. As our children. Of course, always. I've watched too much Pepper Pig and only call it sun cream and only call them bathing costumes yes. that they wear. <laughs> Mommy, where's my bathing costume? So the idea behind this is that the way the virus gets into your cells is through, like it has to have a like a door, okay, to get into your cells. And doorways for viruses are usually receptors. It's little things sticking off the surface of Is the cell. Is it the Golgi bodies? No. I always wonder what those it's things did. It's called an ACE2 receptor, if you're curious. And the idea is that vitamin D can decrease the number of ACE2 receptors you have on your cells, so less fewer doors through okay. which coronavirus can enter, right? Easy. Makes Done. sense. Um, so you take more vitamin D, fewer receptors. Either you don't get an infection or your infection is milder. That's the other idea. Now, where all this comes from is really based on correlation, which we know is not the same as causation. Right. But there has been a correlation in a number of studies that have simply looked at patients who had COVID, measured their vitamin D levels, and then kind of came up with like a rating of disease severity. So based on these factors, we would say this person either had mild, moderate, or severe COVID, Mm -hmm. and then their vitamin D level was either normal Slightly deficient or very deficient, right? Okay. And then they compared them. And they found a correlation between people who had severe disease and vitamin D deficiency. So as a result of this, because of these correlations that they have observed, in some hospitals, I know they are adding vitamin D to their protocols for treating COVID. Uh, Just, you can also, in addition to everything else we're doing for you, here's a vitamin D supplement. I know that some people have elected on their own to start taking vitamin D prophylactically. Like the idea being that if I keep taking my vitamin D, I'm less likely to get COVID. Okay. Okay. Now, all of that, I would say. I've got my Amazon cart full. So I'm just (laughs) waiting for you to tell me if I should pull the trigger. Vitamin D is one of the vitamins that it's fat soluble. So you do store it. So it is possible to take too much vitamin D. It is possible. Now, I would say if we're if we're being, I'll put that out there. You could take too much. You may already have plenty. In which case, I have no reason to tell you if your vitamin D level is normal that taking extra vitamin D is more helpful. 
I don't I don't have mm-hmm. that evidence. The it's idea deficiency is that seems to be the issue. If you're deficient, taking vitamin D could be helpful because disease would be worse for you. Um, and you don't know if you're deficient if you haven't been checked, right? Uh, so it's hard for me to just say everybody start taking vitamin D because there is a small risk to that. It's small, but there is a risk to that. Okay. Um, the other thing, though, is that there are confounders. What does that so, mean? Uh, factors that are not being controlled for in these studies mm-hmm. that could also be leading to these differences. Okay. We're assuming the vitamin D is the difference. But there are other things about these patients that might also be playing a role. For instance... Vitamin D deficiency is more common in people who are at risk for nutritional deficiencies, especially because of socioeconomic status. Um, we also see the an overlap with obesity and vitamin D deficiency. We also see uh, racial disparities when it comes to vitamin D deficiency um, and all the different like social determinants of health that can come right. with, you know, all of those factors within our American healthcare system. So are we really, is it the vitamin D or is it all the other reasons why somebody might be more likely to be vitamin D deficient? Right. Um, and right now I don't think we have a clear answer to any of that. So what I would say is if you're vitamin D deficient, vitamin D is, you should be on it. I mean, that's, sure. Yes, that's that one I, have, I could have figured out. I have diagnosed and treated vitamin D deficiency many times, and I ab- absolutely support that. I I would always support that, but I would certainly not take vitamin D as a supplement and believe I am now safe from COVID. There is certainly no evidence not that no, it is not going to prevent it solely. It will not. It will not cure it. Um, it will not treat COVID itself. It will treat vitamin D deficiency. Uh, I would not, it's kind of like I have a lot of patients who would have leg cramps and so they would start taking over the counter potassium, Mm -hmm. which when I say that, I know there are people listening who are like in the medical field, like pharmacists who are like wincing, like, no, don't do that. Cause you can definitely take too much potassium and it's very dangerous. Uh Most of the time your leg cramps aren't potassium. If you have low potassium, yes, it could be due to that. But if you don't taking extra potassium won't fix your leg cramps. What'll it do? Well, it could make you have too high potassium and then you could have a heart arrhythmia. Great. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Fine, Sid. You can go get your levels checked. Are we buying the vitamin D or not? Uh, Only if we're deficient. Okay. But I don't know if I'm deficient. It's a real real, uh, Schrodinger's cart. That you set up for me. I don't know if you I'm can go get a buying the D or not. If if you have questions or concerns about your vitamin D level, please talk to your primary care physician yeah. and they can help you with that. And get some rays, get some volleyball going. Wear your whatever. sunscreen. Wear your sun cream. I want to talk about our immune system, but before we do that, oh, can we go to the billing department? Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette 
that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. What are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Uh, so Sid, you were going to talk about the immune system, which I can only assume means you want to discuss the hit in a 2001 animated film, Osmosis Jones. Starring David Hyde Pierce and Chris Rock. No. As a blood cell, white blood cell and a cold pill that team up to bring down a virus. I don't know any. I've never seen that. You haven't. You haven't seen Bill no. Murray's in it. I don't They're know. in Bill Murray's body. That's, Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. Uh, no, I don't want to talk about that. The Farrelly brothers produced the live action parts of Osmosis Jones. Yeah. That's wild. I'm shocked that you have it. Are you a fan of Osmosis Jones or were you out on it? I don't know anything about it. I mean, like this. This Are is you the telling first me you haven't I've, seen it? No, I've never seen it. You I don't know anything medi- about it. Okay, you say you love medicine and stuff. Yeah. And yet a movie about medicine and it, you're not watching it. That's it. A pl- cancel your plans. Okay. For, t- for tonight. We're watching. Right. My big plans for tonight. What were they? Oh, that's right. Stay in. Not watch Osmosis Jones. Scratch that out and write in. Do watch Osmosis Jones today together. I, Laura asked. I haven't me seen about, it either, but it looks good. <laughs> Laura asked me about social distancing and whether or not it can weaken our immune system. And Laura was not the only one to ask that question. Many people have asked that because it was one of the things in that uh, the video, the press conference from those two urgent care doctors. Uh, 
the they mentioned this and I I it was on my list of things to address but I got lost in statistics and I forgot to mention it. So um if you have heard people say that and I think it's in that actually I know it's in that pandemic uh thing too that other completely false bogus thing. Um that the idea that staying inside is making our immune systems weak and we're more at risk for general disease, COVID specifically, whatever. Um, this is false. I think here is what I think they are trying to. I think they're trying to make connections between things that aren't connected to confuse people. Okay. Okay. I think they're sort of referencing the hygiene hypothesis. Have you heard of that before? Mm, I feel like we've talked about it before. I think we've mentioned it. It's a way of explaining why there's more like incident of allergies and um, uh, like contact dermatitis, like atopic disease and asthma and things like that the nowadays. The being that we make ourselves too clean and so our body doesn't develop the uh, immune responses that we need to Well, we have pathogens. an exaggerated immune response really is what we're, we're – uh, assuming because we're not exposed to these things early enough. Okay. It's similar to the idea if you if you have little kids or if if you have in the past, you know, if you have bigger kids that used to be little or you have a lot of contact with little kids, you may have heard the recommendations about food introduction change through the years. We used to say wait when it comes to like nut butters, things that are that have a higher likelihood of having allergies too. And now we say you should introduce them earlier. Like, it's even like give, since we've had kids, right? Yeah, it's it changed. has changed even since then. Like give a baby peanut butter because then they're less likely to be allergic to peanuts later. Uh-huh. And because they love it and their little mouths go. <laughs> <It's adorable. laughs> they, they do love peanut butter. Uh, so I think that's what they're kind of trying to talk about with this. The idea that like when we're younger, if we're not exposed to a lot of stuff, maybe we're more likely to have allergies to stuff later on. I, but that's a whole. First of all, allergy is a whole other thing. That isn't a virus or a bacteria, obviously. So they're they're not related, but I think that might be what they're talking to. It is fair to say that you can't develop antibodies to a specific infection until you're exposed to it, right? Right. Like you and I, as far as we know, have not been exposed to coronavirus, to this specific, to, right. you know, novel coronavirus. So we do not have antibodies to it. Now... In this example, I am a healthcare worker. I have probably been exposed to and developed antibodies against a maybe a higher number of pathogens than you. Let's theorize that. Okay. I don't know if that's true. <clears throat> Sounds let's, right. Let's let's say I that, do some. I get up to some nasty stuff, so I'm not going <laughs> to just 100 percent grant it to you. But okay, let's assume it. My now, you and I though have not been exposed to coronavirus. If we are exposed to coronavirus, neither of us have antibodies to it. We both are at risk for an infection. That's it. It does not matter how many other things I have antibodies to. My immune system is not stronger than yours. It's a one-to-one -one thing. So this is a really weird argument to try to make with people. The idea that you need to be out in the world exposing yourself to other viruses and bacteria so that you'll be ready for when you get COVID. It's like the idea that just because you've seen a lot of movies you're more likely to have seen Osmosis Jones. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or that I would know anything about Osmosis Jones because, because seen I've seen a lot, a lot of, of movie, other movies. Yes. And a, a lot of other David Hyde Pierce movies. Exactly. Like I, it's, it's, it's really a one-to-one -one thing. So I am, you are, you can get coronavirus. Anybody can who hasn't been, I mean, 
who hasn't had it. That's it. And so there is no weakening of your immune system that happens because you're staying in your house or in your yard or not around other people. Um, I think that's a common myth really when it comes to the immune system. The idea that we all have these like varying, like some of us have really weak and some of us have really mm. strong immune systems and, and all this. No, unless you've been diagnosed with an immunodeficiency, right? either a genetic issue or from a chronic disease state or from a medication you're taking, something like that, unless you've been diagnosed with that, mm-hmm. there's no reason to think your immune system isn't going to function fine. Well, that's interesting. That's a misconception even I had. So that's good to actually good to know. Obviously, you need to support it with proper nutrition, Mm -hmm. with good sleep, with management of chronic diseases. All those things play into a functioning immune system. Um, But the idea that you staying in your house is going to damage your immune system, that's not it's not founded on, I mean, anything. They're just pulling that out of nowhere. Um, Now, the one thing I will say is if what they what they're trying to say with this is that if there was a way for us to expose people to coronavirus or maybe like part of coronavirus in such a way that they wouldn't actually get sick from coronavirus but would develop an immune response to coronavirus, if that's what they're trying to say, that like that would be better. That's science fiction. That doesn't seem possible. No, that's a vaccine is what they're saying. I should have said vaccine. So that I support. A vaccine. A vaccine. Uh, let's talk about masks. Uh, I feel like I've seen uh, here in West Virginia, there's just a real wide array of mask uh, usage and non usage, I would say. More non usage uh, than I would like to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially since we've started to slowly reopen, slowly uh, reopen things. The comeback. Here. We're making the comeback. Yeah, the comeback. As, as, since the comeback has begun. Uh, I think I've seen fewer masks, which is uh, counter, sort of counterproductive, but okay. There, there are two big kind of categories of, of myths that I've seen. Just to address one briefly, it's that they don't work. And I think we've talked about this on the show before. And it, I hate things like this where they're like couched in truth, but they're promoting like a false action. So it's not that masks don't work. If you're wearing a cloth mask, which is what we recommend, right? If you are just going out into the world to go to the grocery store or whatever, you should wear a cloth mask. Um, If you're a healthcare worker, obviously, we're hoping you have other masks. But Mm -hmm. in this situation, if you're going out into the world, wear a cloth mask. The reason we mainly suggest that is to protect other people from you. You are less likely to spread viral particles all over the place if you have covered your face with a cloth mask, your nose and mouth. That is why. No, they do not completely protect you against getting sick. You, the wearer of the mask, could still, through that fabric, inhale viral particles from other people. That is absolutely possible. And I think we've covered that pretty clearly. Yes. The rate of transmission is even great, is even more greatly decreased if both you and I are wearing a mask. And they are not a replacement for social distancing. So just because you're wearing a mask doesn't mean you can now, like, go to a keg party. You shouldn't be having parties. You shouldn't be going to parties. We should still be trying to keep six feet away from people as much as possible and staying home when we're sick. A mask doesn't replace any of that. It's just another layer of protection. So anybody who's saying that they don't work, it's like, well, I mean, yes, they do help, but they're just one piece of it. Right. 
Uh, the other thing I've seen are some really wild ideas about how like it will make you re-inhale your viral particles and push them into your brain and make you sicker. Now that does happen, I found, with burps, <laughs> for sure. I I don't, I I mean, I don't know why. First of all, if you're wearing some sort of like N95 or something like that, no, it's trapping the viral particles in there. But like the other thing is, if you are wearing a cloth mask, you can still breathe through it. Like there's still stuff making it through. So right. that's not, I mean, I guess if you're wearing like a, just a face shield, like completely, but if it's something you can't breathe through, you shouldn't be wearing it. It's important that yes. whatever mask you're wearing, you can breathe in. If you can't breathe in it, please take it off immediately. If you are, st <laughs> if you're still awake, please um, to that, to that uh, note, there's been some talk of like the masks actually make you more at risk for infection. As we've talked about, unless they're like wet and dirty and you're not properly handling them. No, they don't. Now, if you if you're mishandling them, if you're throwing them down on contaminated surfaces and then putting them back on your face, if you're touching them a ton, if you are wearing gloves that you don't know how to wear properly. So you're cross contaminating your mask and your face and your gloves and all the items of Walmart and all that. Sure. But if you're prop following proper mask hygiene and washing your hands and washing the masks and letting them dry completely like you're supposed to, they're not a risk to you. They're just not 100% protective. Also, quick reminder, if it's not over your nose, it's not doing anything. I can't tell you how many people I see working at stores who, and I get it because it's got to be uncomfortable. Yes, like, they I, are I uncomfortable. 100% get it. But just, especially if you're going about your day-to-day, -day, whatever, uh, just remember you got to cover your nose and your mouth with the mask or else there's no point. And there's no worry. I saw somebody out there saying that you're going to re-inhale so much carbon dioxide because you know you breathe in oxygen, you exhale carbon dioxide. But that now because of the mask, you're gonna you're going to breathe in so much carbon dioxide that you're going to like pass out or something, get confused. Um, again, if your mask is functioning properly, no, you won't. If you can't breathe through your mask, you need a new mask. It should not be made of a material that you can't breathe through. That's, yeah. Yes. 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 That is essential for the mask to function. Uh, Justin, I want to talk about testing. Yeah. 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 We got a ton of questions about testing and because there's been a lot in the news lately about how the tests maybe don't work very well. Good. 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 There are two, broadly speaking, there are two basic types of tests. Okay. There's the test that tells me if you have coronavirus right now got a PCR test. It looks for RNA. It looks for the virus. We're trying to find the virus itself in your body. Okay. So it tells me if you have it right now. Then there are the antibody tests. The antibody tests either look for IgG antibodies, IgM antibodies, or maybe both. And what that means is uh, these, are, these are things that your body made in response to the virus. It makes IgM antibodies in response like those are the first things it makes so if i find those it usually means you have an acute infection you're sick mm -hmm. it makes igg later so if i find those it meant you had okay coronavirus and in a perfect world if i thought you had it right now i could run the pcr test on you and it would be positive if you have it negative if you don't and if i thought you had it last month i could run the antibody test on you right now and it would have igg antibodies if you do and no IgG antibodies if you don't. Okay. In a perfect world, that's what those two tests would do. Now, I don't know if I'm the first one to tell you that we don't live in a perfect world. <laughs> no. 
but you probably have surmised that by now. The PCR test, the one that says if you have it, was initially the what the numbers at least I know we were working with were that they had a 20 to 30% rate of false negatives, meaning 20 to 30% of people who do in fact have coronavirus are going to test negative with this test. Which is, I mean, it's kind of high. It is, yeah, it's not great. Um, especially with something like this where we're trying to contain a public health threat. That's all, that's, a, that's a scary number. Yeah. Um, now you've probably seen some recent reports that are out. That, that it's worse. That it's actually, it might be even as clo- even closer to 50%. <laughs> Which is like a, a coin flip. Um, it's almost worse than not getting the test. Obviously, you can rerun tests. There are tests. There are other diseases out there. Like one that springs to mind is it can be hard to diagnose tuberculosis. Sometimes we have to do multiple tests on you before we're sure you do or don't have it. Before, before we're sure you don't have it, I should say. False negatives are not unli- un- uncommon. But the nice thing is if I'm trying to diagnose you with tuberculosis, I can order as many of those as I need. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're still in a situation in a lot of places where being able to test you repeatedly for coronavirus is not really possible. We don't have enough tests to do that for everybody, Mm -hmm. which puts us in a bad situation if we really think you have it, but the test came back negative, but we still really think you have it. Yeah, what do you do? It's tough. Like, how how do we ration our testing supplies to cover for that? Yeah. It's about, you know, so that's that's part of the problem right now. Um, The antibody test has some similar issues in that uh, a positive test could be a false positive. Now, why would that happen? Why would I look for antibodies to coronavirus in your body and think I found them, but they're not really there? Maybe you had another coronavirus. That's exactly it. Woo! Good job, Justin. Yeah. The tests are supposed to control for that, but they're not perfect. And so sometimes they accidentally pick up an antibody to a different coronavirus and not to this one, which would lead you to believe that you'd already had it when maybe you hadn't. Ah. Uh, And the reason that this is really dangerous with the antibody tests comes down to statistics. This is really like, even in my, even as I have learned this stuff in school and studied it and still I know it, I find this stuff very dense and not intuitive. When it comes to these different tests, what you will often hear quoted are their sensitivity and specificity, okay? And these are two statistical measures of uh, basically how likely this disease is or how likely this test is to rule in or out a disease, okay? Okay. Um, They will tell you that a lot of these antibody tests either have, you'll see different numbers quoted, 90%. Sensitivity, specificity, 95%. Some of them are out there saying 100% sensitivity and 99% specificity, which sounds awesome, right? Like if you saw those numbers, you'd think. Good. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. This this is a great test. Yeah. I mean, they can't get much higher than 100 and almost 100. So here's the problem. The other end of that is the positive predictive value and the negative predictive value. Okay. Okay. And these are slightly different concepts. The positive predictive value is how many people who test positive. So of all the people who get a positive test, how many of those people actually do have it? Okay. And then the negative predictive value is of all the people who test negative, how many people really don't have it? Okay. How many times did it get it right? Okay. Those numbers are slightly different. 
and they're really based on prevalence is how we figure that out. Because, like, otherwise, how do we know what we don't know? How do you know how often it got it right? Oh, I guess I see what you're you saying. You need a gold standard. And our okay. goal, and, and, and that depends on the prevalence of the disease. How, how often is it out there? Okay. Right now in the U.S., the prevalence of coronavirus is like 5%. And in some areas, it's way lower, like here, where we are. And in some areas, it's way higher in New York. Okay. The problem is, if you're in an area like here in West Virginia, and you have a prevalence that's even less than 5%, when you do that test, even that test that has, let's say, a uh, 99% sensitivity and specificity, there is still a 16% chance that the disease is not present when the test is positive, so that the test is a false positive. If you take that uh, sensitivity and specificity down to 95%, mm-hmm. there's a 50-50 chance that that disease is not present even when the test is positive, meaning a false positive. And if you take it all the way down to 90%, 67.9% chance of false positive. <laughs> Sid, this sounds so bad. So in an area like this, if you get a positive antibody test, it's more likely to be a false positive than a true positive. So you just switch it. You just switch it around. <laughs> Look at it upside down and it's better. Now, these tests will become more effective, more important when we can target them to like areas where there's a lot more of it, right? Like in New York, I, those numbers are going to be different. Because there's a higher prevalence, especially depending on what neighborhood you live in. Okay. So I'm not saying these tests are useless. I'm just saying that right now, especially in parts of the country where we've had a pretty low case number, I don't know that these tests have a huge utility for us. The antibody tests or the other The tests? antibody tests. Okay. I just don't know how to... I mean, they're great from a research perspective, but like to actually guide your actions, I wouldn't... If you told me you had a positive here in Huntington, West Virginia... I, I would tell you to continue social distancing and wearing a mask and acting as if you could still be infected or get it. Right. I would not tell you to behave any differently. Fair and enough. so, I mean, I think that's the problem with them right now. So I would not, uh, I would not encourage everybody to go running out and get these antibody tests right now. A lot of insurances aren't covering them. People are paying out of pocket for them. Um, there's a ton out there and there's sensitivity, specificity are all over the place. And as I've said, that doesn't always even matter depending on where you live. So I, I would not encourage people to run out and get these tests right now. And if, even if you do get a positive antibody test, I would still continue to do all the things they're recommending. Wear your masks and social distance because we also don't know for sure that you can't get it again. Cheerful. Um, do you have any other uh, big things that you want to address? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I have two. I'll be quick. Okay. I know that's your way of saying I'm going on too long. No, 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 no. I think... I think people are starting to get that they should continue to social distance and wear a mask when in public. Uh, well, then I will answer Ed's question pretty quickly. He asked me about visiting friends and family. A lot of places like here are starting to, quote unquote, open up. <laughs> and the question starts to be like, we don't know how long this is going to go on. Is it OK for me to start expanding my pod or seeing my relatives or that's what that's such a nice way of putting it. This Christmas, let's expand our pod. Uh, I think I think that it's hard, and you, I, I'm you're not going to like my answer, which is I don't know. But Sid, I, I love my safe. dad. I know, and I want to see my dad. 
And I would say that uh, you could, if you have family members who have all been social distancing, who have been even in isolation, you know, to some extent, I mean, we haven't gone anywhere but the grocery store. Yeah. Um, you could perhaps, especially in a low prevalence area, arrange for some sort of um, low risk. It's not no risk. If you're going to see other people, there's going to be risk. But I'm envisioning like people in outside. Outside is definitely safer than inside. Uh, still wearing masks, still maintaining six feet apart. But like you can't do things like share bathrooms. So like if somebody's going to come over to your house, it would have to be for a short enough visit and a short enough distance that they're not going to need to use your restroom. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They got to have like a stadium pal kind of a catheter deal. <laughs> I'm just saying like those kinds of things would be risks again. And I, I mean, maybe those are risks you're willing to take with your family member if they're uh, medically at risk in some way, a high risk population, you may be less likely to take it. Um, but I, I think there's a great article that I would reference by Professor Aaron Bromage, who's a comparative immunologist and professor of biology at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. And uh, there's a great article uh, called The Risks, Know Them, Avoid Them that kind of talks about whether or not we should be opening up and seeing people and doing these things. Let's put that aside because I think that's highly debatable. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do these things, what are higher risk and what are lower risk and how can you do the best to make it as low risk as possible? I think that um, that's a great article to reference. And a lot of it focuses on uh, outside, it you could get it, like it can be transmitted outside, but it's much less likely outside than inside. So there are a variety of outside options if you're going to enter the world in some ex- to some extent. There are outside options that are safer. Okay. So I, I would I would say that 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 would be a great reference if you're if you've decided I am going to go back into the world and I want to know how to do it in a safer, even if it's a not completely safe way. So my dad, I'll uh, just text him. Maybe him. we could have like a, a a driveway meeting. Just stand we'll in the driveway. sit on our porch. They can stand in the driveway. Sydney, I didn't drive to Ironton to see dad when things were good. I'm certainly <laughs> not going to drive to Ironton to see dad now. I have a perfect excuse. The important thing to remember is that the effects of your state changing the regulations and opening up won't be seen for a couple weeks. So don't assume that if things are okay, they're going to stay okay. I would I would use some caution and wait and watch before you make big decisions. Uh, and I want to talk about one more thing that Emily asked about. Yeah, please. Uh, Emily wrote an email asking several questions among them. Right now, a lot of friends are talking about feeling kind of forgetful and spacey right now. Mm-hmm. And what is this? Is there a name for this that's happening? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people seem to be feeling this way. I would include myself. And... What I would say, what, what not just me, but what a psychologist would probably tell you you're, you're experiencing right now is related to trauma. This is an in, intensely traumatic experience uh, for all of us to some extent, for some of us to a huge extent. Uh, we are, most of us spend most of our time at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. up there trying to like self-actualize, self-actualize and, and, and those kinds of things. the respect of others. Exactly. This, a pandemic, an an immediate threat to your health and safety and the health and safety of the people you love forces your brain, or at least a big chunk of it, back down to the bottom of the pyramid. And for a good bit of us, we have been lucky enough in life to not spend a lot of time at the bottom of the pyramid. 
Um, not everybody, but but I think I would say I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about direct threats to my life on a regular basis and the, mm-hmm. the lives of the people I love. But right now your brain is thinking about that. And even in the background, if you're not aware of it, your brain's doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's very stressful. And one of the symptoms of that is that inability to concentrate or focus, mm-hmm. feeling like you're just kind of in a fog and spaced out. Um, I know for me that's manifested in a in a really uh, great amount of difficulty being creative and innovative, problem solving, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, doing podcasts. Yeah. Forming coherent sentences, even. Uh, and, and you're going to experience it in different ways on different days. And everybody's different, too. So maybe it's not affecting you that much. There's also a time dilation aspect, which I think is tied to, my best guess at least, would be that I know that your brain, it's like the, the people talk about time going faster as they get older. And it doesn't, actually. That won't surprise you. But there's a, an effect where your brain, when it's getting novel information, is recording it more diligently. Mm-hmm. And so as when you're young, you're getting a lot of novel information. So it's writing everything down like, oh, this is all good stuff. As you get older, it's like, oh, yeah, I've absolutely seen this. I'm not going to actually remember this. This isn't as important. And right now we're all putting our brains in this state where it's like the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh so <laughs> and and if you if you layer on top of that that kind of lack of new stimulus and mm-hmm. input if you lay again behind it is this constant fear and worry about yourself and the people around you and then also about like your the economy in terms of you like your family your job sure. you know how how are you going to how are you going to continue to keep your home pay your rent you your know, podcast tours <laughs> all those things plus like the the more um figurative losses just experiences and time and and connections with people and opportunities that you may feel like you're losing that's a lot um i know a lot of people initially said this would be a great time to do some sort of creative project like write a book or something uh and if you can do that that's awesome you're a superhero and i idolize you (laughs) if you can't that's okay too you can join me um, I will not be writing the next great American novel during this pandemic because my brain could not support that. And, and I think a lot of people are in that boat and that's, that's fine, which takes us to the last thing. And I thought, Justin, you could address this better than me. Last time I mentioned being comfortable with discomfort and a lot of people responded positively to that idea as, as being a helpful idea. I think the other thing that comes with that is the concept of self care. Yep. I, uh, Justin would probably call me out on um, line if I told you that I was great at practicing self-care. Mm-hmm. I think I'm better at preaching it. And uh, so I would, Justin, defer to you to talk about that. I mean, I guess that, you know, trying to meditate when you can is good. It takes 10 minutes. Just don't think of anything for 10 minutes. It's pretty easy. Not, not, not particularly easy right now, but, you know, give it a shot. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, what I have been doing is trying to address like appearance stuff that doesn't really matter that much. Like I obtained like dandruff shampoo, you know what I mean? Which I wouldn't have done before, but I'm like, let's get this look right. Let's take man, not cause I care about dandruff and I shouldn't, it seems counterintuitive to like be f- more focused on appearance type stuff right now. But I think 
doing it reinforces a sense of like worth to me to like to to use the dangerous shampoo and let's try that charcoal toothpaste that everybody's on about that kind of junk that's uh i believe olaf called it controlling the things we can control yeah <laughs> um so yeah that stuff there's you know there's lots of other great ways to take care of yourself well i mean make sure that you're sleeping uh-huh. and drinking plenty of water oh i drink wild amounts of water eat, it's unfathomable eat food that makes you feel good and nourished mm. and well uh Get some sort of physical activity and some sort of mental activity as much as you can. Both yeah. of those things are good. Um, and connect with people. Try to learn stuff too. I know, like the, I think creation is is really difficult right now. But I feel like for some people, probably like being able to like like education is maybe more a little bit more attainable. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more passive. Um, we like did the like we signed up for the master class. We're doing one on gardening. You know, just like that kind of stuff. I've been using uh, a, a Babel to work on like Spanish and stuff like that. Like just trying to keep my mind active. Mm-hmm. And and I'm trying to. If you're somebody who is um, who has children, and so you're you're doing the homeschool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's so hard and frustrating, and you're not alone. Uh, I I only have to do pre-K. I can't imagine how hard it would be if I had to do anything more than that. Um, but I think like cutting us all some slack is the number one thing. Cut your kids some slack, cut yourself some slack. Um, try to make like, try to do things that interest you and your children to make it more of like a collaborative. I try mm-hmm. to learn things with Charlie. We, yeah. I find things she's interested in. We read about them together and yeah. then I'm learning. She's learning. I can pat myself on the back for educating. <laughs> Sydney just learned uh, the names of the planets, actually, which she was really excited about. Uh, well, she'd always been curious, and she finally nailed it. Nah, uh, I already knew that. We mm. learned a ton about turtles. I don't know a lot. I've said this on the show many times. I don't know a lot about animals, so we decided one day we were going to learn everything we could about turtles. Um, Charlie, there you also, go. Charlie, and I learned some mime uh, techniques today because she decided. That's her true calling is the the art of mime. She did. We did. We watched a Marcel Marceau video. Did you? Yeah. Did you do mime work? We did some mime work. <laughs> oh God! All right. Listen, that's enough podcast. We've ha- enjoyed talking to other adults like ourselves and the the, the children that listen. We appreciate you as well. Um, I hope your parents are grateful for us occupying you for fifty two minutes or so. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to the Max Fun Network for having us as part of their extended podcasting family. And thanks to you for listening. We sure appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves. Yep. Take care of each other. Hang in there. Uh, uh, but that is going to do it for us. So until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hey, Max Funsters. It's Jesse Thorne. This week on my public radio interview show, Bullseye, I'm talking with Tina Fey and Robert Carlock about creating Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, 30 Rock, 
and also just kind of why they're the best at everything. There was a window of time when we used to go to awards things and pick up our prizes and party with the people from Mad Men. You can find Bullseye at MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne.